With tax season right around the corner, there is a bipartisan effort underway in the Senate to pass an expansion of the child tax credit, and it could be applied to 2023 tax filings. Now, Democrats have been pushing for this since 2021. That was when COVID relief money was used to send checks to families. Those direct payments reached more people than ever before, particularly low-income parents, and it lifted more than 2 million children out of poverty. But when the tax credit expired two years ago, well, families again experienced food insecurity and financial hardship. Now, after lots of negotiating, senators from both sides of the aisle have reached a deal that would temporarily expand the child tax credit. But it's unclear if it can pass in the House. So here to tell us more about the deal is Deirdre Walsh, NPR congressional correspondent. Hi, Deirdre. Hi, thanks for having me. So who would this proposed expansion to the child tax credit benefit? And who, who would it benefit the most? I think it would benefit low-income families the most. I mean, there was really a big effort, as you noted, after um, the success of the child tax credit or the expanded child tax credit that was in the 2021 COVID relief package, really dramatically reducing po child poverty to revive this and bring it back. A lot of Democrats have been wanting to make the child tax credit permanent. Um, this version that's in this bipartisan deal that was announced by a Senate uh, Democratic Chairman Ron Wyden and a House Republican Chairman Jason Smith isn't as expansive as the version that passed in 2021, mm -hmm. but it does um, in one uh, uh, progressive think tanks estimation, you know, in the first year could help 16 million families uh, with children. Yeah. And that's pretty significant. Um, and, and they've estimated that, you know, a family with two children um, making roughly $15,000 a year, their child tax credit could practically double. Um, and that's real wow. money for people struggling to pay rent and fuel bills in this cold season. Um, right. Well, uh, you mentioned there that Democrats have wanted to make this permanent. Why has this been proposed as just a temporary measure, Deirdre? I, I, there's a lot of um, uh, division among uh, Republicans. A lot of Republicans support the proposal, but there's been a push uh, to link work requirements to an expanded child tax credit. Um, that's a non-starter with a lot of Democrats. Um, this kind of proposal is expensive um, to make permanent and to be as generous as the version that passed in 2021. So this proposal in divided government is sort of um, a compromise. Um, and so they have linked a three-year uh, uh, three plan mm -hmm. to um, incrementally increase this tax credit over three years and adjust it for inflation with a series of business tax credits that would also go for the next three years. So uh, is there much support for the child tax credit expansion in the Republican party beyond the Senate? There is, I mean, House Republican Chairman Jason Smith um, co-authored this plan that was announced yesterday uh, with uh, the Senate Democratic Chairman Ron Wyden. Uh, notably, House Speaker Mike Johnson has not weighed in on whether or not he supports the plan. That's obviously a very key uh, player in terms of whether or not this ultimately gets a vote. Um, and Senate Republicans are also sort of split on this. A lot of them have been involved in the talks, but um, some of them are still pushing potentially to add some kind of work requirements 
to this package. Um, but there's not a lot of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned at the top that we are about to start the 2023 tax filing season. It starts on January 29th. Right. So if Congress is going to do something, um, and this proposal would be in play for the 2023 uh, tax filing season, this this particular child tax credit, they would like to start implementing this tax year. I see. Um, that uh, they have to act quickly. Yeah. How much would this cost and, and how could it be funded? So they estimate that the package costs roughly $80 billion. Uh, the Independent Joint Committee on Taxation uh, does those kinds of estimates for tax packages on Capitol Hill. They're planning to pay for it by overhauling an employee retention tax credit that a lot of companies claimed during and after the pandemic, um, Republicans claim there's a lot of fraud in the system and that they could recoup basically that same amount of money to pay for the full cost of this package. You uh, mentioned tax breaks for businesses in this proposed legislation. Give us the, the story there. Right. There, there is some bipartisan um, support for the types of tax breaks that are in this particular package. One of them allows businesses to deduct right away the cost for research and development costs. Uh, under current tax laws, they would have to do it over five years. This lets them do it in the first year. Another targets, um, you know, writing off the 100% of costs in uh, investments in new equipment. Mm -hmm. um, and another would, you know, make the tax system a little bit more uh, flexible for borrowing for small businesses. And those types of small business tax credits, they're trying to make those permanent. The other ones would just last for three years. The deadline for passing this is pretty tight. Why is that? I think it's because of that uh, start of the tax season. It would be really complicated if this passed, you know, six months into the tax year for the IRS to sort out who could qualify for it. Um, they have been able to do that in the past. I think they're trying to avoid that. Um, and I think the other thing is there's just not a lot of legislation moving on Capitol Hill right now. It's yeah. just such a divided place. Um, so there is a deadline to fund the government. Um, and there's some talk about trying to put this on a must-pass spending bill. But there's a lot of time. Um, there's not a lot of time. And there's still a lot of questions about, even within the Democratic Party, if they want to move forward with this package. A lot of Democrats don't think this child tax credit is expansive enough, and they think the package tilts too much in the direction of businesses. Mm. The credit also is going to be indexed to inflation for the first time, right? Right. Starting in the 2024 tax year, it will be adjusted for inflation. Yeah. Um, and that will make a big difference for, you know, in terms of uh, how people's income uh, is qual is calculated for their taxes um, and help boost how much uh, families can qualify for. It, it also, um, the sponsors of this bill point out, um, gets rid of the penalty with families with multiple children so they would qualify for a, uh, a bigger number in the child tax credit. Right. Well, as you mentioned, he hasn't weighed in on whether he supports, but I'm wondering if House Speaker Mike Johnson wants to hand the president a victory ahead of the primaries. What's the reality here of this passing by the end of this month? I mean, I think it's a rough uh, road ahead, but he does have his own Republican chairman, Jason Smith, pushing for it. So I think that there is... Um, <clears throat> some incentive to get it passed. Plus, he does support a lot of the business tax credits that are part of this package. We'll leave it there. That's Deirdre Walsh, NPR congressional correspondent. Thank you so much.
Thanks for having me, Sasha. Now, for more on this, we're going to turn to Audra Wilson, who's president of the Shriver Center on Poverty Law. It's a policy organization that fights for racial and economic justice. Welcome back to Reset, Audra. Good to see Thanks you. Thanks so much. And Michaela Collins is a parent ambassador with Ada S. McKinley Community Services. The group helps connect Chicagoans to employment and education. Welcome, Michaela. Thank you. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for for taking the time to join us. I'm going to start with you, Audria, and uh, I, I saw lots of nodding throughout that conversation I just had with Deidre. Give us your reaction to, to what you just heard. Well, I appreciate her, her breaking down everything. There's something I want to ground the conversation in, and that is our U.S. poverty rate, as we know, uh, as of last recording, was at 12.6%. But the rate of child poverty in the United States is 16.3%. So think about almost four points higher. And among our peer countries of wealthy nations, we are exceptionally high. So knowing that the children are the poorest age group in America, many of these are children of color, many are children under five, they're children of single parents, single mothers specifically, and this is unconscionable. So it is so important that we were able to have this compromise. Um, yes, it is true that it does not go as far as the American Rescue Plan. Uh, the expansion is not as wide, mm -hmm. but we do know it's going to provide meaningful help to millions of children with, um, and families with low incomes starting in its very first year. Yeah. And you'd asked before even about who it would um, help in specifics. So it's going to benefit children of all races and ethnicities, but specifically we're talking about helping black Latino and indigenous children whose parents are overrepresented in low paid jobs mm -hmm. due to historical and ongoing discrimination and other structural barriers to opportunity. Yeah. Let's hear more about that, that real life impact from Michaela. As you talked about there, Audra, that the federal legislation would expand benefits for low income families with multiple children who haven't earned enough to claim the credits before this. Why do you think, Michaela, that this could mean, what do you think it could mean for families in Chicago? Um, for families like myself who experience low income, it would definitely um, help us get over a hurdle of not being able to pay in bills, that insecurity of not having enough funds just to even, you know, take our kids to, you know, the store and buy something so simple like a bag of chips. So it would definitely turn safe for us and help us realize that there is something out here that will help us and help support us with our children and families. The U.S. Census Bureau found that uh, the 2021 tax credit in the uh, COVID relief bill, it significantly reduced poverty at the time, especially for children. You received this tax credit, Michaela. So talk about the impact that it had on you and your kids. Um, at the time, I had actually stopped working due to having to be put on disability. Okay. So it, it came in clutch for me to be able to not only support my children and support myself, but also make sure that our essentials were uh, met and we were able to pay bills. We were able to just do just a, a broad range of things that we were not able to do in the time of me having to stop working. And so once you stopped getting that credit, how did things shift? And was that immediate? Um, it definitely was immediate um, because I am on disability, which is not enough to support myself and two children um, for a whole month with one income. And then I can only work 
part-time if I do work. Um, so it definitely put me in a bind where I had to stay with my sister longer. It put me in a, a place where I was just taking like little odds and ends um, jobs or like things to do just to kind of make ends meet. Mm. Audrey, you're listening to, to Michaela's story. Your takeaways, uh, you know, this certainly just adds color to what you were saying before, right? About how families in need could really be impacted here. Very significantly, and I appreciate Michaela's story because when you had asked Deirdre um, about uh, the act itself and she was talking about the, the possible push for work requirements, I really wanted to point out that work requirements really has been a, a red herring um, that we see a, a lot of Republican lawmakers pushing, inferring that people aren't working and aren't deserving of mm -hmm. this. The fact of the matter is Michaela and others who are trying to work and support their families but have circumstances sometimes that are beyond their control yeah. uh, and just trying to make ends meet, this proposal um, and this expansion is so, so helpful. And in, in, in the irony is it actually would allow and enable many of these families to be able to work successfully because they can now afford childcare. There mm -hmm. are other sorts of things they can afford for their families to make it easier for them to work. Yeah. I do want to point out too that Illinois um, is one of 14 other states that is pushing for a state version of uh, this tax credit. Right. So, uh, and that's really very significant as well. And there is actually an over 40 per, um, coalition member, uh, uh, member coalition that is in place right now yeah. that is working within the legislature to be able to implement a child tax credit as to $300 for eligible families, which is going to be another significant. 300 uh, refundable uh, tax dollars, right? Uh, per, um, per dependent child. Yes. And this is great because it's um, going to phase out of the child tax credit instead of the eligibility, eligibility cliff that you see in the federal version of this. Yeah. And so what's really interesting is that the coalition that is in place is very broad-based. Um, and so we are very optimistic that there will be some passage, or that there will be passage. Yeah. Michaela, I'm curious your thoughts on that push to tie these tax credits to, to work requirements. How do you feel about that? Um, well, the looks of things, it seems as if child care and everything else is being pushed to work requirements, um, which definitely to me is not fair because I actually lost, you know, my child care due to me being on disability. So it was hard to even happen to pay for child care at that time. But I think um, it's unfair and unfortunate for families who just cannot work or do not have that ability um i would love to go and work full time you know i'm only i'm very young and having to be on disability is is a very hard clutch for me mm -hmm. and um it's 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 devastating at times and very stressful at times that i can't get up every single day like i used to and just go and punch a clock however um that having to work or having to, you know, be out there to do something to even receive it, how would you even, you know, are, are they going to consider, like, the amount you get paid yearly or monthly to even uh, about the amount that you will receive in the child tax credit? Um, I think it's unfair and um, it, it's biased. Those are valid questions. I'm curious your thoughts on, on what Audra just mentioned, that potential of a permanent tax credit here in our state. 
Um, so for our state, I, I think that Illinois um, has been one in itself to try to work towards helping families um, throughout every aspect possible. But I'm hoping that, you know, things can change and, and they do see fit, you know, with families that are really in need because there are really families that are in need and sitting in poverty and trying and just cannot catch that break. Mm -hmm. Aside from issuing tax credits, what other options would you both like to see on the table for alleviating poverty and its effect on families? You first, Audra. Well, obviously the tax credits are going to be very significant. We are always advocating for living wages. We need to be looking at affordable housing um, and, and really talking about housing being a human right because we need we know that this is the, the lack of stable, secure housing causes stability um, all, all, all across mm-hmm. um, for for families who are living in poverty or, or, or just above the poverty line. So, um, and of course, access to quality health care. So all the things that we, we've been talking about as advocates, especially throughout the pandemic, when we saw so many of our essential workers who were struggling so mightily, those are still in play. Yeah. What about you, Mykela? Anything else you'd like to see aside from tax credits to help bring more low-income families above that poverty line? I would definitely have to agree with Audria about the living situations because there definitely needs to be more affordable housing for families and not just anywhere. You know, we would like to go into nice neighborhoods as well. Um, And also my biggest thing and what I advocate for is child care. Child care systems, we need a break as families, as parents. Mm-hmm. We need a break. Child care should not cost a mortgage, you know, for a child to just get a quality education, you know. Um, so child care is my biggest one. Yeah. Tomorrow, you're hosting a poverty summit, Audra, with uh, Princeton sociologist Matthew Desmond. We know him also as the author of the bestsellers Evicted and Poverty by America. Give us a a quick synopsis of of what to expect there and what you'll be focusing on. Sure. So we're excited to have Professor Desmond join us. But we are an organization that's born out of the war on poverty. And on January 8th of 1964 was the declaration of the war on poverty. So this summit that we are hosting is not only commemorating that 60th anniversary, but really talking about where we are today. And so we're convening a group of community activists, um, academics, government leaders, and all sorts of stakeholders who are very much committed to exploring the challenges that we have with economic inequity. Um, we were going to have several panel discussions um, that we'll be talking about housing as a human right. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about the child welfare system and how the, the impact of separating families, particularly black families. But we're also going to have a panel talking about innovation and specifically how entrepreneurism can be one of many tools of poverty alleviation. Oh, so that's it's, great. it's not all doom and gloom, but we're able to talk affirmatively about how we can move forward. Um, so there are, it is hybrid, so we have opportunities in person um, and also uh, for those who'd like to participate remotely and, and can come to our website at povertylaw.org to be able to register. Um, but we are grateful right now. We've had so many people who are, are responding and interested and, nice. and understand the, the importance of this issue right now. That's Audra Wilson, president of the Shriver Center on Poverty Law, and Mykela Collins, who is a parent ambassador of Ada S. McKinley Community Services. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Sasha.